Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from Pigs.com. Jeff Rabjohns joins us. Did you notice a bit of a squeak in my voice at all? You sound fine. Huh. You sound fine. Trevor, Trevor Andershock and I are listening to you as we're uh, heading down to Bloomington. You sound fine. <laughs> so who's driving and who's riding shotgun in this equation here? Well, Trevor Andershock's driving this time. So nice. All, all I have to do is sit in the passenger seat and talk. So That's nice. Hey, before we get to Iowa and IU coming up later on tonight, which is another big one, certainly for both the Hoosiers and the Hawkeyes. Terry Morin, coach of the year in the Big Ten, which was without a doubt, can't miss. Mackenzie Holmes was defensive player of the year. I'm assuming with this, she would have swept offensive and defensive player of the year had it not been for Caitlin Clark at Iowa, correct? Would that have been a sweep? 100%. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin Clark is, is the only reason Mackenzie Holmes didn't sweep every award because you know, McKenzie is, is leading scorer, leading rebounder, um, primary catalyst for the number two team in the country. So if you don't have a, a kind of transcendent player like Caitlin Clark, who, you know, uh, I know she's a little bit of a villain sometimes to other fan bases, but she draws eyeballs to women's basketball from people who, generally speaking, might not necessarily pay attention to women's college basketball. So it was understandable that, that she won it, but. McKenzie Holmes, most years, you, you, you look at what McKenzie Holmes has done, look at the fact that Indiana is the Big Ten regular season champion outright, ranked number two in the country. You look at McKenzie Holmes' numbers, most years, that is hands down the player of the year, the offensive player of the year, and the defensive player of the year. She would have swept everything. Yeah, it's uh, Caitlin Clark, and you're right. It is. It is amazing, the eyeballs that she brings. And I was going to bring up uh, the hangover possibility for IU after that win Saturday at Mackey Arena, but I'll start it with the women. Is that something where you go to Iowa City and and you're beaten on that last second three by Caitlin Clark? Is that something you just erase from the memory bank and move forward? Is that something you have to be kind of coached out of? Does that stay with them at all, or have they already forgotten about it, do you think? I don't think that stays with them other than maybe a little motivation. But one of the things that I think has made this women's basketball team for Indiana so good is an incredible amount of maturity. Now, yes, you have to have a certain amount of talent. Yes, you have to have enough pieces. Yes, you have to have good coaching. But, but there's times when you have talent and have good coaching, and it just doesn't quite get totally put together. And one of the things that I think stands out about this team is they're incredibly mature. Prepare for what's in front of you. Play the game. When it's over, if you win, go out, have a good, have a nice dinner, hang out with your friends. Next morning, get up, next game. It, it's a very professional type approach from this group. And I think that's, that's the reason I think that they're sitting there number two in the country, 26-2, and two, Big Ten regular season champions. 
Uh, Jeff Radjohns of Pigs.com talking about the IU women. We'll move along to the IU men. And you can also at times have a hangover from being excited, from getting a big win, being on the road and being Purdue, sweeping Purdue this season as they did at Mac Arena in West Lafayette in resounding fashion, I felt, on Saturday. Because, Jeff, I, I thought that that was the best game that I have seen them play wire to wire in about eight years, especially given the circumstances where they were playing, the team that were playing as good as I've seen them again in about eight years as a program play. But can there be a lasting hangover from a win like that, the positivity like that we saw on Saturday? Yeah, I don't think so. And I do agree with you. It's the best game they've played in years. Wire to wire, every facet of the game, how they scored, what they took advantage of. Um, a player like Jalen Hutchino having just a, a sensational performance. Um, yeah, I think it was the best game they've played in many years. I don't think they're going to have a hangover um, because, again, Mike Woodson, you know, has that NBA mentality of, okay, good job. We played well. We won. All right. Now who's next? So get up the next day and prepare for it. Um, and I think you have the, the two leaders on the team, the two leaders and two best players, Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hutchino, they don't get real spun up whether, okay, we played well or we didn't play well. Either way, they just, they're very analytical about it. Okay, get up the next day, let's watch the film. All right, let's get on to the scout for the next game. So, and this team really hasn't had hangovers high or low either way. You know, they, they, had, they had the rough stretch where they lost three in a row. Um, you know, the Northwestern game was you know, a situation where if you're going to have a hangover, maybe your frustration, that would have been one. You know, the push-off by Boo Booey at the end, you lose in that fashion. But they came back and boom, what did they do? They, they, they won 9 out of 12. So I, I think they're going to be I think they're going to be on an even keel from a mentality approach. So Jeff Rebjohns, who joins us, it is IU and Iowa coming up from Bloomington later on tonight. That tip is at seven o'clock. Pre-game coverage, by the way, downstairs begins at six o'clock on ninety-three WIBC. This is so important when you look at these final two games, two home games, Iowa and Michigan. Iowa and Michigan are are right there, certainly with with IU. You want to make sure with tonight in a win don't you Jeff to separate yourself and then close that thing strong against Michigan coming up this weekend but separate yourself from those as of right now certainly in the eight loss category and I guess to me you get double by situation you take care of this and I mean you're going on on ground in a double by the Big Ten Conference Tournament as which we haven't seen around here in a while yeah, IU hasn't been, you know, in the double buy um, since they started doing that. And I think two things are really important. One, well, three things really. One, the stretch they've been on has put themselves in position to to get a double buy. They put themselves in position uh, to be in contention for a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, they need to to win these two and then do something in the, the Big Ten tournament. But they put themselves in position to get a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, and that's what makes these games really important. Yeah. But these games, these games are important because of what they've done to put themselves in this position. You know, if, if they would not have gone on this, this stretch, uh, then then they're not then they don't have a chance for a top four seed. But, but they have a real chance uh, to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, and obviously, you know, we're we're looking at a team of, you know, this is the best situation they've been in in seven years 
you know, Tom Crean's last year, NIT, Archie Miller's four years, no NCAA tournaments. Obviously, COVID was a factor in one of those. You know, Mike Woodson's first year, you have to win games in the Big Ten tournament to get in, but you end up in the first four. And now Indiana's sitting here at the end of February, as we get, to get ready for March, with a chance to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. So they've really put themselves in position to really have significant things to play for here at the end of February and the start of March. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Jeff Rabjohn's talking uh, Iowa and IU. We'll get to the Hawkeyes coming up in just a minute on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, but I did want to give plenty of, of lip service in a good way to Jalen hood Shafino. I, I was thinking about this, Jeff, and I, I knew I was going to go to you to ask you about it. He had one made three. Uh, most of his 35 points came by virtue of the mid-range game, which was outstanding. Can you remember the last time? And I know that Trace is, you know, gone for 30-plus with his back to the basket and dunking and rim running and all that. But when's the last time you saw somebody go that big, that impressively, playing, for the most part, that mid-range game as Hood Shafino did? I actually think you you got to go back to, to the 80s uh, if you're talking about IU players because, you know, the, the bigger scores that they had that, that came along later, you know, Victor Oladipo didn't really have that many big games like that. James Blackman had a few, but he was a he was a three-point gunner. Um, so really, the guys who most of the time have gone for 30-plus in meaningful games, it, it's usually been about the three. Um, yeah, Trace has done it, like you said, as a post player. Cody Zeller had some big games, but you really got to go back to the 80s. Um, and, and guys, you know, like like Jay Edwards, you know, um, obviously the guy coaching the team is pretty dang good from two. You know, obviously different era, completely different era. But it, it, it's a very different game um, now. And, uh, and the three-point, you know, uh, opportunities, you know, three is more than two. So a lot of a lot of teams, you know, focus more on take threes or, or attack the paint. But Jalen Tufino has kind of that throwback game, and, and it works really well for him, especially with how good Trace Jackson Davis has gotten at setting ball screens, and then how he rolls or where he rolls. And when you when you when you play a team that, that defends the way Purdue does, and they put Zach Eady in drop coverage, meaning he doesn't come out to defend the dribbler, he always is going to drop. The mid-range game is there, but you got to have somebody who can be really good at it. And Jalen Hutchifino is – Jalen Hutchifino was talking to an NBA scout the other day. A guy called me. Uh, they're really interested in drafting Fino. And I said, well, what do you guys like about him? And he said, I think he's maybe the best guy in the country at decision-making off ball screens for opportunities to score. And I was like, that's that's pretty heavy praise. But that, I think that's one of the things about Fino – that stands out the most. The decisions he makes in dribble handoffs or in ball screens uh, with opportunities to score. He had a couple of pocket passes there, and all this evolves with his mid-range shot-making ability, which he showed. And and that really changed the game plan of Purdue because then, you know, you, you had to start deciding, and they did had to change things up, start deciding whether or not they were going to switch. And, you know, Shafino was going to take on eating. A couple of those times, you know, when you saw that, he had some tremendous pocket passes right there. And I, I'd mentioned this more so than just that. I thought Saturday night for IU was the night of the extra pass. And that's, to me, how you know your your offense is clicking at its highest level when you saw so many extra passes. You had a good shot, 
that was turned down for an even better shot. You saw that time and time again from this IU offense Saturday. Yeah, that, that's a really good point because that definitely happened. And I think uh, one guy who was certainly very impactful in that area was, was Trey Galloway. Um, you know, he, he plays, I think it was 38 minutes, five assists, zero turnovers. And, and there were times he made the extra pass, found an open guy in the shot, just didn't go in. Um, you go back and watch the film. He could have had 11 assists and no turnovers in that game. Uh, he, he, he's very helpful as a facilitator from the wing. Doesn't have to be the primary dribbler, but, but he, he was really impactful. And that, that's a really good point. The way the ball moved and the way they found guys well, was really good. And it was impactful at the time. You know, Trace Jackson Davis had that one pass um, where he, he goes, I think it went Fino, Galloway, Fino, Trace, and then a double trace, he snaps it to Miller Kopp in the corner for a three that really helped IU as well. It was plays where Purdue's kind of sort of maybe are they going to kind of get back into this? Bang. You know, you, the ball moves, trace hits Miller Kopp, IU gets a three. It's one of those plays that really kind of keeps the opponent at arm's length. So Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com, Iowa IU, coming up later on tonight. And the thing that stood out to me uh, that translates, I think, to a much higher level of basketball for IU is Galloway on both ends. And I thought that he played at an incredibly fast pace. Um, you would describe it as having his hair on fire, but normally when you use that term, it is meant to say that they're out of control. I thought he played with his hair on fire in complete control on both Fins, and I don't think you can do it much better than the way he did it on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Trey Galloway is is an athlete who can play at speed and make good decisions. And there are some guys who are who make good decisions, but but they have to kind of slow down. There are some guys who are really good athletes, but when they get sped up, you, you almost want them to get sped up because you know, okay, their decision making is going to slip some. They're, they're going to throw it away. They're going to they're gonna jack up some bad shots. They're going to get shot happy, what have you. And with Galloway, he, he's very good at playing at speed and still making very good decisions. It's, it's absolutely one of his best attributes. And, and it's one of the reasons he's a very helpful player um, for, for the number 15 ranked team in the country. All right, I know there's no Xavier Johnson coming back tonight, certainly. Upon his return, which I'm assuming I'll leave this to you, you'd know better than I, that at some point relatively soon that will occur. How is it going to be handled? How is he going to be worked back in in your expectation? Yeah, I mean, I I still fully expect Xavier to come back at some point. Um, Late February was the earliest possible return, and... Uh, Mike Woodson said last night on his radio show that he's not going to play tonight, but he's been doing enough in practice that, in my opinion, uh, he's definitely going to play at some point here in the relatively near future. Uh, most likely, he comes off the bench to start um, when, when he comes back. Um, they have a really good starting lineup. I, I think the, the, the most likely scenario is you keep the starters in place because there's really good chemistry in the starting lineup. And then all of a sudden, if you have Xavier Johnson coming off the bench, you know, you, you have an outstanding guard coming off the bench. Probably, you know, not a whole lot of teams in the country are going to have an Xavier Johnson level guy coming off the bench. Uh, you know, maybe Kansas, maybe Arizona, maybe Alabama, but not too many. So I think most likely he comes off the bench to start, but I, I still remain. Nothing has changed in my opinion. Uh, all, all, all that's up in the air is when, when is his return date. 
So Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Of course, the Iowa Hawkeyes in Bloomington coming up later on tonight. And yeah, last time out for Iowa, it was certainly wild uh, down the stretch. What a minute 34, down 13, come from behind, end up getting that win. And then you had the stare down with Fran McCaffrey. I was curious because the last time out, Fran kind of got, not even kind of, did get involved with the IU huddle. Are there any hard feelings on either end for what took place in Iowa City well over a month ago? Well, I don't know if there's hard feelings, but I, I, I do think uh, people have memories. And, um, you know, when uh, when that situation occurred, it was interesting because uh, uh, the younger McCaffrey yelled at the IU bench uh, on a play and then during the dead ball, one of the officials calls IU assistant Yasir Rosemont up to him and says, what did he say? And so Yasir responds to the official and is having a conversation. And Fran goes down there and just acts like an unhinged whack job. I mean, he's just, you know, he, he's, he's almost in the IU huddle. And, and I, you know, Mike Woodson said after the game, he should have been thrown out of the game for that. He absolutely should have. You know, I, I don't know why the Big Ten fails to function as it relates to regulating the behavior of one complete unhinged nut job that they have in the Big Ten. It's like nobody else acts like this. You know, other, other coaches may yell at officials once in a while and all that, but nobody, you know, walks almost into somebody else's huddle way past half court. And then Fran's done that multiple times. And then nobody, you know, just stands there and stares at an official like, you know, he's lost control of himself like McCaffrey does. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think IU folks are, you know, cognizant of what happened. Um, now, they're focused on the game because they understand, you know, winning the game is, is what matters. They have a lot to play for. Again, double by, top four NC tournament, all the stuff you and I just talked about. But are, are they aware of, you know, what Fran did? Oh, I, yeah, I, I think they're aware of it. So Jeff Rabjohn's with us. Before I let you go, you know. That, 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 that was a good way to answer without No, no, no. Questions. Yeah, well, I, I just want to know if we might be ready for a little bit more juice than just a basketball game that, that Iowa really needs and probably feels like they're on cloud nine considering what they survived through for a win over the weekend. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are. You know, and, and they're they're trying to make sure that they solidify their position in, in the NCAA tournament field. You know, they, they have a lot to play for as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that to to try to answer your question without saying too terribly much, yeah, I think I think, I think folks I think folks have memories. I'll put it that way. Sweet. So I may, I'm going to get geared up for maybe a little bit more juice than just maybe, maybe a little bit more. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'll say that I'll give you full credit if something happens a little bit more tonight well, with I, that I think, memory in mind. I, I think everybody's going to behave professionally. I'm I, I don't sure. think there's going to. I don't think. I don't think there's going to be anything happening. But you know. But do they remember what? What? How Fran acted toward them, especially like toward their huddle, toward their, you know, their, their teammates, their coaches. You know, yeah, I think they're. I think they. I think they recall that situation. When Fran turns. A purplish hue, that's normally a good thing for the opposition. You've noticed that, right? When he goes purple, that's normally a good thing for the other team. It is. It is. I, I'm just surprised the Big Ten hasn't done anything because this has been going on for multiple seasons now. 
and it's been multiple instances where it's been way over the top behavior. Um, and I know he did, he did get tossed at Northwestern, which he totally deserved, but, you know, he should have gotten thrown out, you know, for, for walking over and staring down the official, you know. He should have gotten thrown out of the first IUIO game. There were other times last year he should have gotten thrown out. And I know some people laugh, you know, and there's that, that you know, that, that graphic that gets floated out on Twitter, the Francom levels, you know, one through ten, you know. <laughs> and it's like, I know I know people have some fun with it. And, and you know, there's a level at which there's some entertainment there, but he goes way past that level. I mean, he is acting like a complete unhinged lunatic in a way that, you know, Iowa fans, Iowa fans deserve better. They really do. Iowa fans deserve a coach behaving a little better than they have in Fred McCaffrey. They really do. I got to be honest big, with you. I, the Big I, Ten certainly yeah, does. Yeah, and I, uh, I I get where you're coming from on that. I, I don't know why. It seems to entertain me a little bit, though. I, I guess it's one of those things where it's even more entertaining if your team is the team that ends up getting over and, you know, kind of turning him into that, that raving lunatic type of situation <laughs> as it is. But it has been entertaining. Hey, Jeff, before I let you go, we know about Rebracha and Murray uh, and Sanford off the bench who was outstanding late in that game and that come from behind win over the weekend. I thought um, as names go on this Iowa team, Jeff, I thought Tony Perkins was maybe the biggest reason why they ended up with that win. Yeah, I mean, I, I would put Murray as the main reason. You know, he, he had 21 points in the second half there. You know, he finished with 30, but 21 came in the second half. So I, I would say Murray was the most impactful. But yeah, Tony Perkins is definitely a good player. Um, and, and Trevor Andershaw is going to love the fact that you brought up Tony Perkins. And I think Trevor was the first guy who, when scouting Tony Perkins, said this guy can help a Power 5 team when not many people were recruiting Tony Perkins. Yeah. But, yeah, with, with his ability to make shots and get going, um, you know, he can run hot and cold sometimes, actually a lot of times. But when he runs hot, he can absolutely help Iowa win Big Ten games. Uh, he's a really good shot maker. He's fast. You know, he, he can get into the paint. Um, he, he's got a really good uh, game as far as he's got a lot of different ways to finish. You know, some people can get into the paint, but they really don't do much when they get there. Uh, but TP can when he gets when Tony Perkins gets into the paint, he, he can definitely do something. So he's definitely a very helpful player, and he's really helpful for Iowa in how they play offensively. You know, with, with how fast they play, their tempo, with how the ball moves, with how they really hunt a three, or in some situations it's either take the three or go attack the rim, you know, that really fits Tony Perkins' skill set really well. Had a couple of big-time putbacks, too, off the offensive glass for Iowa over the weekend against Michigan State. That was impressive. Before, one more thing before I let you go. Um, I have been a huge supporter of Trace Jackson Davis through a lot, and there certainly has been a lot of criticism. Uh, smartly, nobody is stepping up with any level of criticism any longer. What, where does he rank all time for you as we approach the end of his regular season Big Ten career this weekend? He, he's one of the most uh, – he's one of the best basketball players Indiana's ever had. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, I love so-and-so more because they won NCAA tournaments or they won a national championship or they hung a banner. That's very fair. But fan affinity for a player is not necessarily the same as evaluation of achievement. 
and you're looking at somebody who is already the all-time shot block leader at Indiana, who is top 10 in, in scoring and rebounding, and is is going to finish top five in scoring and rebounding. So when you, when you look at actual achievement, accomplishment on the court, what he's done as a player, yeah, he's absolutely one of IU's best all-time players. And he's accomplished all this while being the number one player that opponents have on their scouting report. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of scouting reports. Okay, page one is all about Trace Jackson Davis. All about Trace Jackson Davis. One, one opposing team, the entire front page of their scouting report was Trace Jackson Davis. The whole damn front page. You know, so he's getting the most defensive attention, and he's still producing at an incredible level. You know, um, you know he's he's the only player uh, in 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 many years to you know have you know those twenty five ten and five games, twenty five points, ten rebounds or more, five block shots or more. So he, he, his accomplishments are incredible, and he's done this for four years while being the main guy the other team is focusing on and they've struggled to stop him struggle to stop him and if you want to if you want to put it in a little context this year you know he, he's played through back pain a number of times you know some people criticized him you know early in the season said oh you know he, he only had you know 18 7 and 4 he should be doing more he was playing through significant back pain through a stretch and his numbers are among the best in the country, and he's he was not fully healthy. I don't even know if he's fully healthy right now, to be honest. He says he's 100%. That's great. Mike Woodson says he's 100%. Great thing to say. Do I believe him? No, I don't. Um, yeah, I think he's still playing through pain. But when you factor in all those things, he's absolutely one of the best basketball players Indiana University has ever had. Well, in, in that, watching his growth and maturity through it all, I mean, through, you know, coaching changes, through disappointments, thinking that he was never going to be that type of on-the-floor team leader that he has certainly transitioned into. There's there's just a lot to be impressed about with his growth and maturity and now overall understanding of what it means, not only to him, but to everybody to play in Bloomington for that team. That's what I've seen. That's what I've seen over his his growth period at IU that is most impresses yeah. me. That's a really good point because he is now he's the face of IU basketball. Yeah, and he's comfortable being the face of IU basketball. Where for his first couple of years he was best player, but he wasn't necessarily like you know vocal leader. And he led by work ethic, by example, and those things. But now he is he's very comfortable being the face of IU basketball. He knows he's you know the guy that people are looking at all the time. He's the guy, you know, we all go to post game for quotes. What does Trace have to say about this or that? You know, he's, he's the guy who, you know, everybody looks to. And he's now, like you said, he's very mature and he's comfortable. He's very comfortable in his own shoes now, which is, which is really impressive. Because there are a lot of people who play basketball really well, but they never get to the point where they understand, okay, I'm the face of a big-time program. And, and not just a winning program. You know, when, when you play in Indiana, you know, attention is on you 12 months a year. Okay, everybody's talking about you, thinking about you. What are you going to add to your game? What are you going to do next? And he has really become comfortable in his own shoes. And I think that's I think that's really impressive. And he does that through the good 
and the bad. He's always up there and owning whatever through the good and the bad. And I'll take what Matt Painter has said to me both you know, on this show and then privately about how much respect he has for him speaks volumes about how I think everybody should feel about him and what he's accomplished there to this point as well. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Painter's probably been one of the I know one of the best people at, at really explaining how Trace has grown as a player and as a person, and, and other coaches have said it as well. You know, and uh, other assistant coaches have said things uh, to me privately that I'm like, oh, you should, that's a great quote. Can I use that? No, that's off the record, Abby. Ah, crap. Okay. Well, all right, fine. But what they say, uh, you know, assistant coaches have a really good handle of like when you go into a game, who scares you and who doesn't. You know, who who genuinely scares you. And the way they talk about Trace Jackson Davis uh, speaks incredible volumes about who he is as a player, as a person, as a leader. And when everybody you talk to says, you know, basically Cliff Notes version, that's what you hope for when you recruit a good player. If you can find a Trace, that's great. That's what you want. You know, that that really says a lot. Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com getting you set for a lot of things, IU, including the matchup against the Hawkeyes tonight. Hey, Jeff, I appreciate you. Say hello to Trevor Forrest, too, and enjoy the game. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, man. Take care, bud. The NFL Combine ongoing right now and on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is staked out, I'm sure, in the convention center as I speak, and I'm curious. We had a promo running about hand size, and that goes back, you know, obviously to uh, to pick it a year ago. But how much does size really matter in terms of your quarterback is something that is going to be widely discussed, I'm assuming, regarding Bryce Young. How much does it matter to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, size always matters, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I it, I'm going to try really not to be uncomfortable with that response. But yes, yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to pretend to be 14 years old for a minute. So <laughs> I'm really good at that. In fact, uh, so I, I think it matters. It has to matter, right? Um, it, we wouldn't do all these measurements and keep all this historic data and all these things if it didn't matter, right? Everything they do here matters. Um, I. I think that it matters a lot uh, with quarterbacks. If you, you know, go through the annals of the Hall of Fame and look at all the quarterbacks in there, and if you if you lined all those guys up in a row and you look just gave them the eye test, they're going to have a lot in common. They're big guys, and and they're going to have certain physical qualities uh, that a lot of physical qualities in common. So it, what that tells me is not that someone without those qualities can't do it it just says that that person is very much outside of the parameters and and is is an outlier so you're going to have to overcome some history to succeed if you are not uh, among you know if you are not in that that spectrum right and so i I think it matters it definitely matters If, if it didn't then i then that wouldn't it wouldn't be that that symmetry among the elite quarterbacks out there where they are of a certain size and, and certain measurables. It's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. So your opinion with those particular measurables, which most people would suggest the best quarterback in this draft is Bryce Young, yep. would you shy away from that if you had the number one overall selection because of what you mentioned, those particular well, measurables? Well, I, I think it's a, com- it's a complex answer, and the answer is this. 
Uh, it's, it's not a straightforward yes or no, but but I think this is the real answer. And it boils down to this. You have to be so far and away sold on the other qualities and the other uh, the other characteristics of that player that it doesn't matter to you that he is undersized or, or doesn't measure up in a particular way. And so what I'm saying is I think you have to be so far and away sold uh, that you can, over, you can overlook it. You know, what, what does that mean in the, in the case of Bryce Young? I will say this. In this draft, I think you, I agree with what, what you just described him as. I think that from a, from a skill set standpoint, I think his skill set is far and away the best, right? He is, he is the absolute best all-around player in this, in this draft among the quarterbacks. I don't think there's any question about that. That doesn't mean he's going to be the, the best quarterback. But just saying, as we sit here today, and what we know about these guys, I think that he is the best of the group. The, the question is, you know, can he overcome what we're talking about at the NFL level uh, whereas in college, it's a different deal. You know, I mean, there's, you don't get any, you know, any sort of um, directional schools, you know, in college. And I'm sorry, in, in the NFL, excuse me. You know, you're not going to have those those types of Saturdays. Every team's going to have guys who are big, strong, physical, fast. You know, all these guys have been through the draft process, et cetera, right? So, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is you can – I can overlook it if the guy is just so far and away better in every other aspect, but it has to be like off the charts for me. It has been mentioned. Stephen Holder joins us. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah over the weekend mentioned that it's a, a dangerous proposition. If you will, I'm paraphrasing here or Chris Ballard be a struggle sleeping at night. If you stay where you are, I'd have to ask you this. Is, Is it more of a curious proposition and dangerous to move up and trade so much of what maybe certainly in this draft or down the road, you're going to need to help build this team back up. Or is it more dangerous to sit at number four where you are and take what you get? So the way I see it is, is this is going to boil down to their evaluation, right? And this, that's going to kind of be the common denominator in all my answers, but it's going to boil down to their evaluation. If that evaluation is this kid, and I think we're talking about Bryce Young. I don't know who else you'd be trading up for, right? Let's just let's work under that assumption. But regardless of who it is, if you are so far and away convinced, okay, this is our guy, right? And he can solve all of our problems. This problem is four years in the making, man. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. The fans are exhausted, right? If, if they can solve those problems, then I don't care. I don't care, you know, how big he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I care, but my point is if you're, if you're convinced he can succeed in spite of that because he is so damn good, then do it. Absolutely do it. And I think if you look at the history of – so that's a qualifier, right? Now, if you look at the history of trade-ups to number one, it's actually not as bad as people think. You look back at 2016, and the Rams went to number one, took Jared Goff. They gave up a ton. However, what is important to remember there, they were coming from, I believe, pick number 15 or 16 they had to go a long way now going from number four to number one doesn't necessarily have to cost you you know the the future of your franchise it's doable and so and it also 
will depend on on how much action you know the the Chicago Bears are getting. You know how how many people are calling their phone. <laughs> you know, and and that's something we don't know yet. I, I would. Would you expect would the Colts have been one of those teams mentioned that have called? I I would want to know the price if I'm the Colts. Yes, I I want to know the price. Now, if they, they again go back to the qualifier, if if in their estimation Bryce Young is is not the guy, and and he is not for them worth it, then maybe you don't call. But I I happen to think just from tidbits that I know and have heard, and they're tidbits, right? I admit, I happen to think they they have a pretty um, a, a pretty positive opinion of Bryce Young. That is that is my belief, and it's not based on nothing. So I think in that case, yeah, I want to know. I want to know the price, you know. And, and again, it's preliminary, and the the final price may not get determined for a while, right? And and it can go up if, if others get involved, and and it can go down if maybe they don't have a whole lot of offers, right? So the price today is not going to be the price in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, I think, you know, so, so that's the thing. It's, it's fluid. Uh, the other thing I would say on the timing of this, this is why I think the, the Colts have time on their side here. It's early. And none of the picks that I, I went back, I think to like the mid nineties, if I recall, uh, trades to number one overall, none of those picks were made before mid April. None of them, you know, because people wait, they wait to see how the market develops. And I think the same will prove true here. Uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Do you expect that the, the price that the Bears might want, again, this is just hypothetical because nobody really knows, but mm-hmm. it will turn into the Colts having to ship an already established roster player to Chicago. Is there any doubt that they're going to take on the Bears would want somebody from their roster presently? Uh, I think it is, it's definitely possible. And, and for two reasons, number one, I think there's one player we, I think we all, there's a couple players, I guess, that we, that we all think that they may have some interest in. I have no idea, uh, whether the Colts are, are willing to part with one of them and I'll just throw it out there, right? This is speculation, but it's, it's educated speculation, right? I mean, uh, the Forrest Buckner would be a, great interest to the Chicago Bears, right? I mean, we know how Matty Berflus feels about him. Now, that's a guy I don't know they're willing to part with, okay? The other guy is Kenny Moore. Uh, Kenny Moore is someone that Berflus loves and has used in a variety of ways. We also know that he is not as useful in the current Colts defensive scheme. <laughs> so maybe that's a win for everybody if they end up moving him. Again, speculation, but it's not what's not speculation is the fact that, that the fit is not a good fit right now, right? So, And then the other variable here is that the Bears have a, a tremendous amount of cap space. So they can take on salary. You know, and a lot of teams aren't in position to do that. The Bears are. So I think if you're them, I think you can entertain that. You can entertain taking on players and taking on salary and and, and, and making that part of a potential deal for that number one pick. Seems like there are going to be a lot of teams. And again, if you don't trade up, you're going to miss out on not just the first, but the second one. So I guess if, you know, you That's like the, the problem, yeah, right? if you like the third pick, then, you know, that'd be good fortune. I just can't remember the last time any good fortune resided around here, 
that's problematic for me to think about, but I guess it would be good fortune. If you like the best, if your numbers, you know, yeah, I guess equate to liking the you know, the guy that's going to be the third quarterback taken, then so be it. It's just kind of hard to sit here and believe that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you if your final evaluation is that there's not a lot of difference between the quarterbacks, right? Well, then, okay, maybe you're fine with it. You can probably get the second or third, but I think even the second quarterback you're, you're going to have to catch a break. Like you said, you're going to have to catch a little bit of a break to get the second guy because if let's, let's say nothing changes. Okay. Say nothing changes in terms of the order prior to the draft, just for argument's sake, just for giggles. Then, all right, let's assume Houston takes, you know, the top defensive player, which is going to be a great player. I think a great choice. Uh, then Houston takes, whichever quarterback they love. Let's say they take Bryce. Now you are in a position where you are praying, okay, praying that somebody doesn't jump up to number three because I think the Cardinals, if you're them, don't you have to consider yes. moving out of that pick, yep. right? In that yep. scenario, you got to consider it. So if you leave it to chance on draft day, even if nothing changes heading into draft day, you could still be in a situation where you, you don't have as much control over this thing as you think because – because things could could move on draft day, even, and so I, I think the Cardinals would be a prime spot if you're a Carolina or someone like that who is it, it really has a, a tremendous need there, and go get a C.J. Stroud or someone like that, where you're not dra- you're not trading up to number one and maybe not paying that exorbitant price. So I agree. I think I would not sleep well, uh, but it's <laughs> again. I have been. People have been asking me all day here because they know I'm the I'm one of the indie reporters, and people from all around the country have been asking me all day today. What do you think they're going to do? What do you think? What do you think? And I've told them. I said, look, I can see the scenario where they trade up, but I also have told them repeatedly. I said the Colts under Chris Ballard, they have had, I believe, six drafts. They have picked in the first round, John, how many times? Three times yeah. in six years. All right. That's who you're talking about, Chris Ballard. Right. So I get the other variables, the pressure. I get the opportunity. I get all that. I'm just saying, don't ignore that part either. Yeah. I Rick Venturi told me a couple of weeks ago, he said, listen, the last time you were up and you were in the penthouse, you know, I, I know that it, you know, everybody looks at it negatively now, but at least for that moment with what you got. It worked out smashingly. And going back to Peyton Manning, obviously it worked out smashingly. Yep. So sitting back and relaxing and let others mm-hmm. kind of make that decision for you is not quite, I, I think, what anybody would be looking for, I guess, in this situation, right? And and to reinforce your point, it's not only that, that, that it worked out both times, it's also, think about in both of those instances, what happened with the alternative, the alternative in 98 was Ryan Leaf, right? The alternative in uh, 2012 was RG3. And neither of those guys panned out uh, nearly as well as the number one overall pick. So there was a tremendous difference in quarterback one and quarterback two in both those instances, right? So I think it's not just that it worked out. It's also how did the alternatives work out and the – the answer is there's no doubt it worked out better for the team that was number one. Curious question here. You think the Colts would rather have a guy like Anthony Richardson explode and just have this incredible workout, this incredible combine that's talked about, or 
have kind of a lackluster ho-hum one, so you really don't have to mess with that. What, what do you think they would rather have from the Florida quarterback who seems to have a lot of tools, but certainly it seems like a lot of time for those to develop? So so basically what you're saying is, in yeah. other words, so that they don't – They have so the, they have the pressure of this of guy the, was such an oh, wow, all yeah, of a sudden yeah, you yeah. do have to consider that at, at number four. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, all I'll say is that you, you are always looking for for – you know, ways to kind of separate guys and, and create some some distance, you know, in your evaluation. You know, you don't want guys to all, you know, be at the exact same level because it, it becomes an easier, I'm sorry, it becomes a more difficult choice for you. You know, you want the choice to be clear. <laughs> so, And you'd rather have that separation on the field than you would this weekend, wouldn't you still? You'd rather be able to see that at points on the yeah, field I than this I weekend. Yeah, I agree with that. But listen, I'm here to tell you, that kid ain't going to have a bad workout. <laughs> okay. Now, he may not throw the ball all that well. We'll see. That's where, obviously, we have questions. But his his physical measurements and his uh, the testing stuff, oh, he, he'll be off the charts. I mean, uh, did you see the, 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 the clip on – I saw it on Twitter personally – of him doing a, a between-the-legs uh, – slam dunk where he's basically at eye level when he's dunking the ball. And I'm like, okay, well, that kid's going to perform pretty decent, I think, at the NFL combine. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know? Yeah, more interesting. He's, he's interesting, yeah. man. He's yeah. really, really interesting. And yeah, and I don't know, that that's an added amount of pressure for some, especially I've kind of described the Colts as this. I think everybody knows, navigationally speaking, where this team is going into this season but you also want to be able to show signs with this particular draft investment that's coming up and I, I don't know it just seems like if you have somebody that's already proven it on the field at one time or the other even if it's at a smaller sample size I don't know it'd be more than kind of waiting on a guy like like Richardson I don't know if the fans around here would want to wait not that they're going to make a choice but mm-hmm. that was just kind of my thought in trying to to clarify what quarterback I would go with, I guess, over some of those those other choices. Stephen Holder's with us. Before I let you go, you more interested in hearing from Shane Steichen tomorrow or Chris Ballard tomorrow? Uh, I think probably Shane Steichen only because I, Ballard tends to be pretty disciplined in this setting. Now, last year, I, I thought they were they were kind of honest probably to a fault about Carson Wentz, but we knew where that was going. Right. And they, so they didn't hide from that. Uh, But generally, you know, he's not going to come in here and and give you a bunch of sort of draw you a roadmap of what they're going to do. Now, Shane Steichen, we we really don't know much, right? We, We don't know how he feels about anybody on their roster. We don't know how he feels about, these quarterbacks in this draft or any of those things. And so I don't know, I don't know how much he'll give us, but I'm interested to at least, you know, try to have those you know conversations that we just haven't had a chance to have. Uh, we really don't know a lot about how he thinks about anything. So, uh, and he's not someone who has a long history of dealing with the media or, or a well-documented history. So, I mean, what do we really know? Right. I, I think there's a lot left to learn. And we need a lot. We need all these opportunities so that we can continue to learn about who 
the, the Colts' new head coach is. It's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is going to be live down there again coming up at the 3 o'clock hour tomorrow. Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard. I will go back-to-back, and then Chris is going to join me on the show at about 3.45, which should be uh, interesting as well. Coming up tomorrow live from the combine. If you get a minute, stop by and see me. Yeah, I may, uh, I may come and uh, sit down uh, while Chris is in the uh, hot seat. <laughs> get a first, get a first <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> kind of wondering how that's going to go a little bit. So I guess yeah, we'll see. I'm sure yeah. it'll be just fine. Just yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll see you down there tomorrow. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he's got the Mavericks and the Pacers on tap. 8.30, that tip time from Dallas later on tonight. He is deep in the heart of Texas. Kristen Neri of Bally Sports Indiana is joining us now. How you doing, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, it feels like uh, a while since uh, the Pacers played a game. We've been in Dallas uh, since late Saturday night. We flew here after the win against Orlando. So, uh, you know, play in Dallas tonight, go to San Antonio after the game, and then end this long road trip uh, Sunday in Chicago. But uh, spirits are good. Uh, it was nice to get that win on uh, Saturday. Uh, been around the team the last few days. In fact, today, uh, Rick Carlisle and Buddy Heald surprised everybody. We got on the buses thinking we were going over to the American Airlines Center for shoot-around, and we, we went to Buddy Heald's house. He has a beautiful gym, and it was it was a whole lot of fun uh, to see he and his family and his mom. And uh, and then, then they did a regular shoot-around at Buddy's house, and uh, it, it was pretty cool. What's that gym look like in his house? Uh, if you if you go to uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some social media posts among the Pacers. I, I think we'll have some. It, it's it's we'd all like to have the gym that he has. Uh, he says he spends a lot of time there. He says with all the players that live in in Dallas in the off season, he goes uh, there are a number of NBA players that uh, routinely throughout the week will come to his house to his gym to work out. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was only about a 10 to 12 minute uh, ride from our hotel right. Uh, we're in, I don't know if they call it downtown Dallas. We're right near the American Airlines Center, but it was not far away at all. Did uh, he have a shoot around there, or a shoot away, the thing that kicks the balls back to you when you shoot? Uh, I, well, if he has one, it, it wasn't out uh, because I'm sure he has one. Because there are ball boys to do that there, so right. That's right. So so uh, I, the, the his gym was all set up for the team to come in and do their regular shoot around and uh, yeah, it was really cool. That's outstanding. You know what's scary around here is some of these places are beginning to transition. There are places for you to go and play pickup basketball to pickleball. And while I have no problem whatsoever with pickleball, we can't have that in this state. We're the home of pickup basketball. Come on now. We can't have it. I'm, I'm curious. I hear I hear the ads that uh, you talk about. Yes. That there's a pickup basketball place. Uh, now I'm a I'm 62 years old now. I, I can shoot it. I, you know that's one of the things that was today. Some of the guys have never seen me shoot, and, and that's at least one thing I can do. I think Benedict Mather and he thought, hey, that old guy, he just talks on TV. He's got a pretty decent shot. Did you show so, double? Uh, you double show double zero oh, yeah, what I you showed, can do. 
I showed Double Zero what I could do, and he kept feeding me the ball today. So I felt pretty good. Wait a minute. Where the hell is that video? I got to have that video. That's awesome. I told I told Benedict I can get him some assists. So uh, yeah, that yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. No, that is awesome. Somebody uh, Brett just actually sent me a picture, uh, the photograph of uh, everybody there. That looks like uh, an excellent facility, to say the least. The, the background has a picture of Buddy, I guess, up on the scores table after a big win for Oklahoma, right? <laughs> there that's pretty cool yeah that yeah that, i think that was the big 12 tournament in fact uh mark kestisher who is the the voice of the nba on espn radio and you hear him on your you know, on your station quite a bit the, on this big mural behind the basket is that photo of buddy on the scores bench and mark kestisher is there standing up so i took a picture of it and sent it to him and he said oh that's awesome i'd love to have that picture i go well Maybe we can talk to Buddy and we can we can get it. And I, I don't know if you can have it as big as he has it because it it takes up the whole wall at the end of the gym. What do you make of this stretch run? What have they got? Twenty now remaining, yeah. I believe. They they split the two since they've been back from the All Star break. Uh, certainly disappointing on on Thursday when Miles had the forty game, but you know came right back and won and really you know, maybe one of the more complete games I think that we have seen this season out of the Pacers in Orlando. But in the final twenty, what are we expecting? Well, they've got a difficult schedule. I mean, tonight you've got Dallas, uh, even though they've lost uh, four of five, they've got, uh, you know, one of the top records in the West. And now they've got another all-star to pair with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. This is the, the only team the Pacers have not played this year. So they'll also play them uh, later in March in Indianapolis. You've got two games left with Milwaukee, two games with Philadelphia, both at home, uh, another game with Boston, so at the top of the East, you, you have a number of, of games against those teams that are trying to get to first. But, you know, I, I like what this team has done, you know, even, even though it's been a tough stretch and, you know, you lost, what, 16 of 19 at some point. I, I feel like they're in a good mindset right now. They came out of the break, and as you said, they played really well against Boston, uh, just came up short in overtime. I, I thought they were pretty dominant on Saturday. Um, and, and so a lot of it, John, is, you know, as much as you want to talk about defense, can you stop somebody? I still look at a lot of the issues that they had during that stretch, especially without Tyrese Halliburton, is they just weren't putting the ball in the basket and they weren't getting the same kind of shots that we saw them get uh, back at the halfway point of the season when they had won eight of 10. And I think in the last game before the all-star break against Chicago, um, uh, the game against Boston and then against Orlando, um, they're shooting 50% from the field and better than 40% from three, and they've made 18 threes per game in those three games. So as much as we want to focus on defense, and yes, that's important, uh, this is still a game where you got to put points on the board, and, and when this team can score, they're much better off. Yeah, it's uh, Chris Dary from Dallas on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline with the Pacers, the Mavericks tipping at 8.30, 8 o'clock. Bally Sports Indiana has your coverage from Dallas this evening, too. And you mentioned, too, Dallas has changed up the uh, dynamic uh, a great deal with uh, Luka and adding Kyrie Irving. And while you would think that that's going to add a spectacular flavor, certainly offensively, it had to be a little bit off-putting to them the way things went down on Sunday against the Lakers in that game. Yeah, they had a 27-point lead. Uh, NBA teams were 138-0 and zero, uh, prior to the Mavericks blowing that 27-point lead and losing to the Lakers. So uh, Luka and Kyrie have played four games together because 
Luca's missed a game. Kyrie's missed a game in in the stretch. They're one and three, but you know it oftentimes takes you know guys a little bit, especially to get used to new surroundings. So I would anticipate that you know this is a pairing that that should be pretty good in their final twenty games, and they're trying to make a push in the West. The, the one thing about the West, John, is they're sixth. They're only a half game ahead of seventh. Uh, they're only two games ahead of eleventh but they're only a game out of fourth. I mean, if you look at even where the Lakers are in 12th all the way to fourth, they're only separated by, you know, three or so games. So uh, all of these final 20 games for especially teams in the West are really important. And you could see a lot of changes in the standings. Uh, You know, if you win two in a row or lose two in a row, uh, you, you could drop or, or gain ground immediately. And, and so, you know, the East is a little different, you know, where the Pacers are in 12th. Um, they are a couple of games behind the team in the final play-in spot in Washington, and they'd have a long way to go to try to get to six. So, uh, but I think this final two months, uh, inside two months, will be pretty fascinating in the league. Well, and and again, with the Pacers in mind, you go back to that Boston game. They were they were right there. And if you just you, you get yourself a better shot, right? You execute better in that final possession. I, I bet you and Quinn were thinking the same thing last Thursday. If this goes into overtime, your chances are going to dwindle. You get the final possession right here, get yourself to the free throw line, something. And it seemed like that ultimately they settled big time in that final possession. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't like your chances as much, even at home, when, when you give Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum another shot at it. And, you know, we have seen Tyrese make those shots. He made, he made one in Miami uh, to win the game back in December. Uh, he even said, I, I'd like to have that possession over. He's had some conversations with Rick Carlisle. Now, I like the fact that Rick did not call a timeout. I, I, just, I just think you let him play because you don't want to allow Boston a chance to set up the defense. So, uh, but... Uh, you know, it, it it is what it is. It's a learning experience for this group, and you just got to put it behind you and move on to the next one. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, against Boston, if I were a betting guy, I mean, Boston would be. And I know everybody's talking about Milwaukee. We'll see about that. But if I were a betting guy, Boston would be at the top of the list with what they have and what I think they can do in the postseason. So I thought coming off the All Star break. That was certainly a good sign. I, I guess the better part of it with that team is the type of effort they got from start to finish in that second game on Saturday in Orlando. Yeah, no question. And, and they, you know, they're, they're trying to work uh, Jordan War in, and I think he's been really good. I mean, he's somebody that that gives them size at the forward position coming off the bench. He's six foot eight. He can score. He can shoot the three. He had eighteen points in Orlando, and, and we saw sort of the reemergence of Jalen Smith. I mean. Rick Carlisle has some decisions to make behind Miles Turner. They've used Daniel Tice as a veteran. We've seen Isaiah Jackson. We've seen Jalen Smith. Um, And and I thought Jalen did a really good job of being ready and prepared. Uh, He had seven points and what do you have? Seven rebounds and and five block shots, four in the first half. And I I think that's a tribute to the guys is is that even if you uh, are on the bench for, you know, four or five straight games, that he was ready to go, and uh, that that's something to watch here. Uh, I th- I think in the final twenty games, how these young guys react and in into the position that they're played. Um, you know, the Pacers right now, just as a lot of teams in the NBA coming out of the All Star break, and Boston, as you said, 
teams are as healthy as they've been all year long. And so um, when you've got more guys available, then, you know, there are going to be some guys that oftentimes aren't going to get to play. I, I think this team has done a really good job. And I think today, you you know, as you said, somebody sent you the picture, and I'm around these guys. There's just good camaraderie. Even the guys yeah. that aren't playing much um, are very supportive of their teammates because they know at some point uh, they're going to get a crack at it as well. So Chris Denary, who is with us, I will tell you one thing. I don't want to go anywhere near the cliff in which – um, Jalen Smith fell off of. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just it just seemed like that. I don't know if this is correct, but it seemed like it almost coincided with that injury to Halliburton. Seems like Halliburton went out for an extended period of time, and Smith went out without or whatever for an extended period of time. Yeah, I think I think you know what they were trying to do is they were using him at the four, and I think you know at least at this point. And again, he's a young player. Um, they they feel like he's a better five, and he's a backup five. And and you know the Pacers had a glut, John, of centers, and you know they let one go in Goga Batase, who we saw Saturday night in Orlando. But they've got Turner, Tice, Jackson, and Smith. Now, on occasion, you may see a couple of those guys play together. But now, with the addition of Jordan Wara. You know, at the four position, you can use Neesmith and Wara. Um, the Pacers will go small at times. So um, I, part of it would depend on matchups. If you're, if you're playing a team like Cleveland that has multiple bigs that start uh, or, or a team like Memphis when they're starting Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr., then I think you could see the Pacers pair a couple of big guys together. But for the most part, um, they've tended to want to go a little bit smaller, and that's why you've seen Aaron Neesmith in, in the starting lineup really for much of the year. So, uh, Chris Denary with us again. That uh, tip time is at eight thirty. Coming up later on tonight. That is the uh, is that me right there? No, that was, was my you? watch. Oh, that was my watch. What the hell did that, that say? Good. I thought it was my phone. I thought somebody was, was talking. Terry was talking to me. I don't know what she was saying, but uh, <laughs> she was listening into our conversation. All right, before I go, any injuries of note tonight on either side of that basketball with Dallas and the Pacers? Uh, no injuries of note for the Pacers. Um, it looks like uh, Maxi Kleba, who's been out for uh, quite a while with a right hamstring injury, uh, could be available tonight uh, for the Mavericks, but uh, no. Um, I would say uh, both teams are good to go. One of the things we're going to see is Justin Holiday, uh, the former Pacer. Uh, he was in, involved in the trade last year that uh, brought Halliburton and Heald from Sacramento. He was then traded to Atlanta. He was playing with his brother, though he was not getting much playing time in Atlanta. He was traded to Houston, bought out of his contract, came to Dallas, and he was in the starting lineup the other night. Yeah, so, hit, a, hit a big three uh, there late in yeah. that game to keep the Mavericks close. Yeah, so uh, we'll see Justin. He's a really good guy and, uh, you know, a terrific young man. And uh, it'll be, it, it will be fun to see him. Hopefully he misses some shots tonight. Uh, he can make all the shots in all the other games, but need him to miss shots tonight. Speaking of shot maker, it was he and Benedict Matherin. Like dishing to him, Chris Denaria, Buddy Heels place, <laughs> knocking down jumpers. Did you did you have your slacks on or were you uh in No, I had I had a I had a Pacers uh long sleeve and and sweats on. Nice. So I was I was in You're ready. I was in full you know, I said I said I, I sent a note to our fam chat, you know, with my kids and my yeah. wife and I said 
today's one of those days where you sort of pinch yourself and you go, this is a pretty good gig. You know, I'm, I'm at practice, I'm, I'm shooting jumpers, and then tonight I get to call an NBA game. Yeah, did, life's pretty good. Did you dress because you thought there was a pretty good chance you were going to be able to shoot? That's the way it sounds. No, well, no this is how I always dress. Oh, is I mean, it? I okay. Have, oh, yeah. I, I, always I, have, I dress like this because I always think I may end up going someplace to play after this. People always go, why do you got those shorts on? Why do you got that on? I always no, think there I'm may some place to play, so... No, this is my, you know, if I'm on the road, I mean, and that, you know, when we go out to dinner or whatever, I've got a nice pair of jeans on and, you know, a shirt. But if not, I've got, you know, I, I'm ready to go. I know I'm not going to go up and down like you. I'm only I'm only going yeah, to try well, and shoot. up and down, <laughs> up and down is <laughs> becoming increasingly more difficult. Uh, slamming the ball down and cussing really loud and being frustrated is yeah. uh, my normal yeah operating procedure any longer so we'll see yeah we'll see it's always a pleasure safe travels for you we'll check in again soon all right good to talk to you john Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, let's not leave out the fact that boys' sectional play starts around the state of Indiana later on tonight. And hardcore on top of it from start to finish is our friend, let's just call him the champion from Lanesville, Indiana. He is Greg Rakestraw. Congratulations, champ. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, somebody said, you should get a ring. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I did nothing to earn that championship. But congratulations to the young ladies from my hometown, of which I think I'm related to four of them uh, that uh, took home a state championship on Saturday. <laughs> it's absolutely outstanding. You know what? I look back on those four games and really the entirety of the girls' postseason, and I don't think you could ask for anything better. Everything was just at a high level of competition. Girls' basketball has grown, and it's not just because I have one that plays and I watch a little bit more than I ever have in my life, but you, you couple that with the level of play that you're getting from from IU and you know girls that you know see Caitlin Clark do what she did against IU and watching other teams girls basketball seems to be in a really growing good spot right now Greg and it will continue to do so and and let's acknowledge now this is a these kids have known nothing but having a WNBA team in town in the Indiana Fever uh you know Purdue has largely been successful during the entirety of their lives there are more opportunities for girls playing AU basketball and things like that. And so you combine all of those things, and not surprisingly, the sport that we know and love is getting even better and better for young girls in our state. Yeah, no doubt about that. So congratulations to all those champions, including Lanesville, Forest Park, Fairfield and Bedford North Lawrence and everybody that participated because yeah, the product both on the radio and on television was uh, outstanding as well, of which you were a major part of. So we're getting started with the fellas coming up later on tonight. What stands out on this Tuesday night to start sectional play around the state, Greg? Carlin Westfield stands out in terms of locally. You know, in the 4A level, the majority of our sectionals are kind of 17 sectionals. Hamilton County is the exception. Um, you know, the, the sectional in Hamilton County on the top end is not as good as it has been, yet there's four or five teams that are really good and can make a deep run of the tournament of that group. I'd say the same thing about the sectional that I am going to in terms of the one at Warren Central. I'll have Warren Central and Lawrence Central tonight at 7 on my MyNDTV and, and free online at IHSATV.org, um, where, you know, Cathedral is the defending champs. They've lost twice to teams in the state of Indiana 
and seemingly nobody is talking about them because all the conversation locally is in Ben Davis in terms of, of being 26-0. and 0. Um, Again, the other teams in that sectional maybe aren't what they have been, but they're all still really good. The two teams I've got tonight have combined to win 28 games. You know, Addicts that's in that group is, is the city champ, and everybody in that group has a, has a winning against or a loss against somebody else in the sectional. So who knows who comes out of that group of seven uh, that I will see over the course of the next few days. So um, there's there, while Ben Davis is great, there's still a lot of other great teams around them in 4A locally. And then once you get to 1A, 2A, 3, it's kind of spread around the state in terms of the power. But should be a lot of fun over the course of this uh, in these next four weeks. I was going to ask you this for our West Side friends out there. How much separation do you believe there to be in 4A between Ben Davis and everybody else? Well, here's, here's the crazy thing is that in their own sectional, you know, the team they drew to play the first game tomorrow night against Southport, Southport ticked them to overtime November 30th. Now, I really think that Ben Davis from, say, like mid-December on is a different team than the one that was playing the first three weeks of the season. You know, they won all those games, too. But, like, in the span of three days, they had to go to overtime to win at Southport and beat Pike by four. And I, I did the second of those two games back in early December. Since they put Mark Zachary in the starting lineup when K.J. Wyndham got hurt in the second half against Cathedral, I think the I think the pieces fit better with Zachary starting and Wyndham being an offensive first kid coming off the bench. When Ben Davis and Southport played each other, then in the – Marion County Tournament at Southport. Ben Davis won that game by about 15, and that was on January the 13th. You know, so that's about six weeks ago uh, at this point in time. So um, Ben Davis is the best team, but they're not unbeatable. That's probably the best way to describe that gap between them and everybody else. You know, it's it's funny too. There's like we'll get to college basketball in a second. There's not a, a great deal of similarity here, but Ben Davis does have a little bit of of a gap between them and everybody else. It's not that much. And then when you look, I brought this up. College basketball, I think nationwide, landscape wise, mirrors the Big Ten because you just got a lot of teams that if you get hot for that moment can get some work done. You see that both nationally and you see that in the Big Ten present time, don't you? Let's face it. I mean, you've got three or four teams that are clearly the number one seeds in terms of Kansas, in terms of Purdue, and Purdue's been waffling because of what they've done the last two or three weeks. But still the fact they are a number one seed by most prognostications kind of tells you, you know, that there's not that team that can kind of come up and catch them at this point. Houston of that group, but obviously hasn't played as many quality teams being a part of the American Athletic Conference at least for one more year before they you know, they make the jump to the Big 12 next year. But at the same time, you know, the entirety of the NCAA tournament to me is all about matchups. Um, and so, I, you know, in one sense, Purdue, I think, will have it easier. But they are facing teams that do not know them as well as those in the Big Ten do when they get to the NCAA tournament in a couple of weeks. And for Indiana, it's all about matchups. You know, does the team they are playing – have a guy that can hang with Jalen Hood, Shafino. Does the team they are playing have a, have a big uh, that, that could slow down to some degree Trace Jackson Davis? And if they don't have one or the other, I like Indiana's chances to keep on winning as far as that tournament is concerned as well. I think college basketball this year is kind of the ultimate matchup tournament, which is why Purdue fans, there's hope because there's nobody that matches up with Zach Eady. They're the one team that knows they have an advantage at a spot going to every game they're going to play in this tournament. 
So Greg Graystraw is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mentioned at the outset of the show what my thoughts were regarding IU and, and coming off what was just a huge win, the best that I have seen an IU team play in the better part from start to finish of eight years. And that's how good they were, I thought, at Purdue in that win on Saturday. And I, I gave some of my theories on on what they can do to help to maintain Besides winning, what are some things you're thinking about coming off that win Saturday in these final two regular season games, which are at home, but are certainly mammoth coming up here, Greg, tonight against Iowa and then on the weekend against Michigan? Just win, baby. Simple as that. Um, We are now to the part of the season where it is all about results. You're you're not worried about quality of play. You're worried about keeping guys healthy, Uh, but it is simply about getting the W. Iowa tournament team michigan borderline tournament team where the hoosiers going to be seeding the big 10 tournament likely playing mostly ncaa tournament teams the rest of the way that this is no longer a beauty contest did you get the job done did you get the win and let's face it they're not going to play a true road game now the rest of the season just go out and get the w as simple as that to greg rakestraw on the andy moore automotive group hotline what Help explain my uh, Indiana State Sycamores for a moment, too. Man, they will they will give you a great deal to be happy about, and then we'll steal that. They'll snatch that from you in a heartbeat, won't they? Here, Here is what I think they are. I think they're a very high-caliber offensive team. I'm not sure they're a high-caliber defensive team. I also don't think they've got a true point guard. Um, I think I think they've got a really good coach that runs a really good system. And and I, I think that he has coached them to where they are greater than the sum of the parts. So the fact they have won 20 games in his second year is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the fact they're the fifth seed is a little disappointed, but at the same time, they get an Evansville team that's dreadful uh, the first game. Should dispatch of them. Then you kind of get to the pay window portion of that tournament. But – whether they had won both games last week or lost both games last week, the song remains the same. You have to win your last game of that tournament, yep. the NCAA tournament team. Uh, if they don't, they probably won't play in the NIT, but they'll play in either in the CBI or the CIT, or they will have a chance to keep their season going and rack up some more wins. It's been a great year for them, and I do think they will play in a tournament where they'll have a chance to at least – play another game or two in front of their home fans at the Holman Center. I don't care if they play in the LMNOP, Greg, to be honest with you. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, whatever letters it might be, I'm good with it. I just I, I try to talk myself into this. Sometimes I want to say, and I guess in this case I will, it is good you can get out and running and get a game under your belt when the team that you're playing on Friday has yet to play that higher seed. That's an advantage. And then I think about, I don't know what is really an advantage to this team, and I agree, there's not a great deal of willingness or want to to play defense with this Sycamore club. Um, again, they're a team that's put together really good jump shooters. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it makes sense. Because, you know, Josh has got a lot of kids that have a Division II background. The biggest difference in the Division II kid versus the Division I kid is not what he does offensively. It's what he does defensively. It's level of athleticism. And so it's not surprising that a team that has half the kids that started their careers at the Division II level can knock down jump shots, sometimes look like they couldn't guard their own shadow. 
so that, that again, that shouldn't be that big of a surprise that that's kind of the end where Indiana State's trying to pick some things up. Your impression at Ball State and Michael Lewis in year number one? Um, it, again, it's the exact same thing I'd say about Indiana State. The fact that he has gotten that group to 20 wins is really good. Now, they've got two more regular season conference games. They've kind of had some banana peel moments on the road, losing at Western Michigan, losing at Eastern Michigan, even with Emily Bates on that team over the last couple of Saturdays. Um, but, you know, winning these last two games would be nice. Again, they've done enough. They know they're going to be in the Mid-American Conference Tournament. It's about winning three games in a row in Cleveland next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, whether you're going to snap that NCAA tournament streak that remarkably has now gone for 23 years. They last made the tournament in 2000. If they don't win the MAC tournament, again, they'll play in the alphabet tournaments, as you so eloquently put it a few minutes ago, and have a chance to continue on their season Whatever they do from this point in time is gravy, but everything for Michael Lewis's team is really okay. Can you win three games in three days up in up in Cleveland next week? Fife tells me that if there's one thing that Michael Lewis likes, it's gravy. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble that remark, John. I can't is, comment on that whatsoever. That is all good. It's Greg Rakestraw with us. All right, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a nod from Shawshank Redemption. When Brooks went out on parole... Before he offed himself, he said uh, since he'd been locked up, the world had gone and gotten in a big blankety-blank hurry. Why are we in sports now in such a big hurry with everything, from pitching clocks to shorter football games to all this crap? Why are we in such a big hurry? Because we all have short attention spans. Well, we We suck. We got to fix ourselves a little bit here, don't we? We all, we all have more things to do. We all don't want to dedicate ourselves more than three hours to any individual sporting event. So um, I, I, I don't mind the pitch clock in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I think it's something that is needed. I think, frankly, it's part of the reason why you get more folks that are tuning into soccer in this country, unless it's you know for a, a cup championship or for a playoff. It's, it's two hours. You know exactly what the window is going to be. I think speeding up baseball and trying to add more activity in baseball, I think it's a very good thing. I think we're in too big of a hurry. I think we've got to chill a little bit here, man. Let's chill. Well, see, I, I think Guy had that, it right. Let's chill. Being, that is you being more true to your Southern Indiana roots, and you know I have become more acclimated to the faster pace of life <laughs> in the big city as I'm talking to you from Broadrup. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. That's coming to somebody that pees outside more than four times a day. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that activity as well, uh, but I'm still all for you know you know faster baseball games. Jeff. Before I let you go, Luke Jackson says, "Let's chat about USI having a good season and a home tournament." <laughs> Screaming Eagles chat really quick before I let you go. This is this is remarkable. Uh, the fact that you know, this is one of the things that has changed about these schools that are now entering Division One. They still can't play in the NCAA tournament but their leagues are allowing them in to play in their, in their conference tournaments. And then USI gets the ultimate gift of the OBC had already been playing their tournament in Evansville. And in fact, they announced today they're extending it from their couple of three years, the 26 and 27. And so USI enters division one and in their first year gets to play in their conference tournament and, it, and they're going to be the home team. That's crazy. So I had Stan on last week. 
they do have an invite from the CBI. They had to be above 500 going to the conference tournament to qualify, and they are. I think they're 16 and 15. So even if they were to lose their first game, they do know there's postseason basketball for them a couple of weeks down the road. So they still can't play in the NCAA tournament for four years, but they could potentially have a postseason game in their home arena their first year in Division One. The job that Stan has done has been tremendous, which knowing Stan and knowing a lot of good people behind the scenes at USI, I'm not surprised they have gone in and been successful in year one at the Division One. Is line. that in USI's new arena or the Ford Center? No, that is the Ford Center. Okay. So 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 that yeah, the Ford Center is the host, has been the host for the OBC because it's it's very much centrally located. And when you are when you are a, a one-bid league, either you're going to put your tournament in a home market where you know it's going to be supported, or you put it within driving distance of everybody. Yeah. And that is the case at Evansville. That certainly seems like been a pretty good marriage between that league and, and the pocket city. By the way, it used to just be known more than anything else. Well, I guess with uh, Bruce Pearl back in the day, uh, Matambo's Matumbo's brother, right? Is that who it was? Elo Matumbo, yeah. absolutely correct. Matumbo's yep. brother played there. But USI was always the biggest party school. With all due respect to Ball State, was always the biggest party school in the state of Indiana. I'm assuming they still hold that title in the state of Indiana. That's impressive. You know, the funny thing is, I, I went down there and talked with some of the folks um, last year about potentially doing some production work as they made that jump. We were kind of touring around campus. And I was over by the apartments, and I go, man, I vaguely remember being here in like 94 and 95. I think I had a pretty good time when I was here. So, yes, a good chunk of Lanesville made their way down I-64 to attend school slash party at the University of Southern Indiana. It was party central. Yes, certainly in the past, and I'm assuming it still is. Hey, by the way, get ready. When are we going to end up getting a shot clock in high school basketball so we can hurry things up more? That's coming, right? I think that's going to be a while down the road. You want to know why? Why? You got to find 400 qualified shot clock operators <laughs> at every game. Good luck with that. And, and, and I would say literally two thirds of the schools probably have a shot clock already installed because you buy a new scoreboard it's going to be there yes so that way there's a clock above the basket but you have to you have to have pay somebody else to, to, to work the game you have to have more room on the scores table for that to happen i think for that reason alone it's not going to happen okay guy from green county this is the on button and this is the off button this is what you have to do every time change of possession happens right. yeah I, I get what you're saying now i don't know what right. they do in gc Figuring out the on and off button, not the problem. <laughs> when to use it, that's the problem. That would be the issue. Yeah. All right, LC and Warren Central for you coming up later on tonight, right? That is correct. 15 win Lawrence Central, 13 win Warren. One of them's going to have their season done by 9 o'clock. That is incredible. All right, enjoy the call, buddy. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, pal.